0: We're in Luke chapter 22, we'll go through this passage, and by the way, next week, and for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, a, a, short, a short Christmas series is coming your way by me, uh, The Greatest Christmas Gift, and then uh, after the first of the year, back into Luke. But we, uh, we find our, ourselves in Luke chapter 22, and we now come to uh, the upper room, and we come to the, the, uh, the place where the Lord introduced the bread and the cup. It's a marvelous story. So here together with me, the word of God. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that it is that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood this is god's marvelous word may its truth fill our hearts and minds today amen you can be seated thank you so much well sometimes uh, the whole future can change in one conversation Um, And a lot of times, if you're a parent, you make that discovery. Uh, My wife and I have five adult daughters, and of course our son. Uh, And four of those daughters are married now. And I remember well the time when each of their then potential husbands uh, came and either met with me or with me, me and my wife together to... Talk about their desire to take one of our daughters into a new future. Each of those conversations was different. Uh, They came about in different ways at different times. But thanks be to God that each of those young men came both qualified, thank God, in my mind, in our mind. They also came determined. That's a good thing to see qualified and determined, and uh, each of them left that conversation affirmed and excited and relieved and on their way. And my wife and I left that conversation with a sense of gratitude and trust in God, but our futures were altered. Our daughter's futures were altered after that commitment. These young men uh, found uh, a new focus and uh, stealing in their life as 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 marriage, and I'll call them at a greater maturity, and our daughters' lives were altered. And so, you know, the whole future can change in one conversation. Now, the disciples' experience at the Last Supper ended up being somewhat like that. For them, it was a little unexpected. For us, not so much. But for them, this was unexpected what happened that night. They were not expecting that Jesus was going to give them such a deep teaching and create such a deep change in how people relate to God. To them, this was going to be just another Passover evening. And they'd celebrated them since they were toddlers. It was just going to be another Passover gathering. But then, before they knew it, Jesus was talking about the fact that this was going to be the final Passover. That he would not celebrate it again with them until they celebrated it in the coming kingdom that they were all so interested in. Now, this was not going to be just another Passover. It will turn out to be the final Passover. there will be something that Jesus brings into view and into the practice of their lives, the bread and the cup. A new remembrance is going to be brought to them, which we know today is communion, but it, it had so much significance that they were only going to begin to grasp, but, but it would be unfolded and then memorialized in the Gospels and lived out in the life of the churches that they would end up pastoring. They, they had no idea how much was changing that night. They were living under an old covenant of works of the law and the giving of sacrifices over and over again in the hope that one day an ultimate sacrifice would come who would be perfect enough and eternal enough to fully be the sacrifice for sin and take away sin. And until then, they were waiting. But that night would reveal that the one in the room with them was that ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, And he introduced that night a new covenant, a new commitment by his father. Not based on their works and their hope, but based on their faith and what Jesus was going to do the next day. A covenant of faith and remembering the cross work of Jesus. All of that was going to go away and yet come into view. It was a mighty, mighty event that night. In fact, I agree with Dr. John MacArthur, who said in his commentary about this night, quote, this would be monumental. It was the turning point in redemptive history. That's how significant what we've read is all about. Now, to Jesus, it was a great and significant evening. Uh, as he comes to this, and you take a look at it, just in, in just another moment of introduction, in verse 15, Jesus tells them as they're 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 gathering around the table in the upper room and reclining at that low Middle uh, Eastern table with the Passover elements all laid out, and they were on couches that spread around four sides of that table. Just another Passover to them, but oh, it was not just another Passover to Jesus because he says in verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's so much there. Jesus was deeply, deeply uh, invested in what was going to happen. This would be the Passover of all Passovers for many reasons. It was the concentration that night of meaning behind all that he had ever come to do. Commentator David Guzik in The Enduring Word Bible Commentator put it this way. This was a passionate moment for Jesus. It wasn't so much that he was saying goodbye to his disciples as much as now now he arrived at the central reason for why he came to mankind. To institute a new covenant with mankind based on his own sacrifice. This was not the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the beginning. I, I looked at that comment, and I decided to borrow words from him and change them a bit to give you my title. The title of this message is really The End and the Beginning. Something was ended by Christ that night that was futile and would never ever bring people fully back to God, and something was begun that night that would draw all men and women to him who desired to be in the presence of God. So uh, it's it's a... Just a magnificent portion of scripture, if you haven't gotten that from me already. Now, studying this was very difficult this week. Some passages open up pretty simply, and a lot of them are narrative, and they they tell stories, and I'm I'm a decent storyteller. But there was so much mystery here as I continued to unfold it. So much majesty about what Jesus was planning to do, there 's a depth here that you know I, I tried to outline it for you like I usually do with the points you can follow and the subpoints, and I gave up. i can 't outline this. I tried to illustrate it and, and find ways to put it into human terms, and you can 't really put this into human terms. I tried to apply it, and I quit because You don't apply the majestic you just observe it you you take it in and so all i want to do is humbly observe this passage with you today and trust the holy spirit to make the greatness of what jesus was saying that night and would do the next day clear to you may the spirit have his way tonight or today rather so uh, i just want to observe the passage with you and I want to summarize it under four things that I observe. Here's the first one as you look up at this section of Luke 22. Number one, I saw that Jesus was about something supremely significant here. Supremely significant. It was significant to him. He earnestly desired, verse 15, to eat this particular Passover with them. This had been on his mind well, if we know that redemption was planned from the ages past, this had been on his mind that night, had been on his mind from eternity past. That's another great story. But it had certainly been in his human perspective growing in, in size and importance as the days coming to the cross passed. Now remember a little bit about the flow of events here that we've studied over the last few weeks. This is the chapter of, that begins with betrayal. The, the the chief priests and the, the Sadducees gathered in their secret room to plot a way to find Jesus alone or without the crowds and to take him away secretly, and then one way or another through A trumped up trial, or maybe just through silent murder, they were going to eliminate him, to take him out of the way. But they couldn't figure out a way to find him and locate him in a way that they could take him quietly. And then the solution comes knocking at the door. Remember, Judas is entered into by Satan, and Judas decides to make his deal with the devil. And he does that through agreeing to betray Christ. That's earlier in the chapter. So the betrayal plan is beginning to be unleashed and Jesus knows that he's being observed and he knows the heart of Judas and that Judas is waiting to find out where they're going to hold the Passover so that he can alert the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they can send their secret police and take Jesus. And we learned last time that Jesus arranges a way for the Passover to be set up in a place that even the, old, the people setting it up don't know the location of. And that's what we saw last time, how God is in control of every. Event, Even the betrayal of his son. So now we come to the Passover that had been arranged earlier that day by Peter and John at Jesus' direction. Jesus has now led the group of disciples including Judas sulking toward the end. He's led them that night to the place that he had already ordained. That only he knew, and there Peter and John were waiting with the Passover set in that upper room. And Jesus leads the disciples to that place. They come in, they get settled, and it says, As they reclined around the table, verse 14, Jesus and the apostles with him, the evening began. So it was... A a flow of events. Now when did this happen? It helps you to know that this happened Thursday night in Passion Week, in my opinion. The public teaching ministry of Jesus had come to its conclusion. The hostility was at its highest pitch from his enemies. But Jesus had gone back to the Mount of Olives the evening before. As the betrayal was being hatched. Now he's come into Jerusalem. It's Thursday night. It's the night before his death. It's the night of the betrayal that would happen later that night, around midnight or a little bit later, as Jesus leaves this Passover, descends through the terraced hillsides of Jerusalem, having taught his disciples. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He wrestles in prayer over the coming cross work, and then Judas is allowed to find him. He's betrayed in the midnight hour or early in the morning, then taken through several sham trials by the Jews. And then brought to Pilate's doorstep about 4 to 5 a.m. that following morning, Friday morning. And by Friday afternoon, between 3 and 5, probably at the ninth hour, the gospel writers tell us, at 3 p.m. the following day, he would cry out, it is finished. And the Lamb of God would be giving his life at the same time that the Passover lambs were being slain in the temple before uh, the high priest's. All under the plan of God. That's how this would all unfold. But tonight was the time when Jesus brought the meaning of this together. Now you would think that Jesus Christ being fully God but also completely man and perfect man, but as soulish as you and I, with with an emotional set that would be re- revolting against the loneliness and the contempt and the suffering that he was going to undergo and not wanting to walk through the physical torment he was going to experience, you would think that Almighty God but fully perfect Jesus would be thinking about what he was going to go through. Indeed, he says, I have, I, I'm eating this Passover with you, verse 15, before I suffer. It struck me, if, if I was in that position, my mind would entirely be on the suffering that was coming. Wouldn't yours? That, it just stuns me that Jesus Christ in his absolute perfection, the Bible says he loved his own and he loved them to the end. His mind was on them and his mind was on the meaning behind what he was going to go through. Not letting the terror of the suffering overcome the meaning behind what he would do what a magnificent Lord. He was not focused on the suffering, but here he's focused on showing them the meaning behind it. He says, I have earnestly desired. Interesting construction in the Greek. It's it's a double intensive. You could translate it. Desiring I have deeply desired. Or Dr. Barclay, the Bible commentator said, it was as if Jesus was saying, oh, I have desired with my whole heart, all my heart to be with you tonight. This is is deeply important to me. It's meaningful to me. It surrounds the, the purpose of my life, the power of my death, and I'm about to reveal to you what this will all mean for you. This is a great night. It was meaningful to Jesus partly because in his human frame, he didn't want to be alone. He wanted to be with them. But he loved them to the end, and he had a lot to teach them before that night was over because he knew what they were going to be facing beginning at his betrayals moment. And he wanted to take them through his teaching that night about the person of the Holy Spirit and the comfort of God and the fact that that all of these things had a purpose in God's redeeming plan. He wanted to prepare them for all that was coming. He wanted to warn Peter about his betrayal, but God's rescue of Peter when it was all over, and on and on it goes. But the biggest thing he wanted to do was reveal the divine purpose behind his death. And that's what we'll see in the bread and the cup. So the first thing I see is that Jesus was about something supremely significant here. Here's the second thing. When you look at this Passover that they were going to celebrate, this Passover was the ultimate Passover. It was the greatest Passover service in all of Jewish time. He says, I have earnestly longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Passover so you understand what was going to happen that night. In fact, what was happening even as Jesus spoke. The Passover was one of the three great feasts of the Jews. And it was a feast that they were called to celebrate as families. This didn't take place in the great temple where the priests presided. The Passover feast was celebrated in homes or in upper rooms, gathering rooms, by families or small gatherings of Jews. It was personal. Every year it was ordered to happen according to Exodus chapter 12. They were were directed by God to celebrate it. Remember the essentials about Passover's history. This came out of the time when the Jewish people were captive to the nation of Egypt. 1,400 years prior to this night where Jesus is in the upper room. Their their captivity was desperate. They saw no relief, but they cried out to God, and God heard their cry after 400 years of captivity. And he sends a deliverer, Moses, you remember him, and Moses comes and calls to Pharaoh to let God's people go. And there's this cosmic battle between demonic earthly authority represented by Pharaoh and divine supreme authority represented by God Almighty through Moses. And there's this great battle and Pharaoh battles and defies and God brings ten different plagues to uh trouble Pharaoh sufficiently to where he lets the other Israelites go. Now, the last plague was the taking of the lives of, uh, uh, life of every firstborn child in the whole region. And God told Moses to tell the people of Israel, uh, so that your firstborn are not taken, you take a lamb for every household, an innocent lamb, and you slay it. You drain its blood and you take some of the blood and you put it on the doorposts and the, the lintel of your houses and you stay in those houses and when my destroying angel sees the blood he will pass over you and this is a sign of my mercy to those under the blood. It's a great emblem of coming salvation. He took the lives of the firstborn of Egypt but not a one of the firstborn of Israel. Of course they're liberated and they, they leave and in the exodus, and, and they move into their divine purpose. But God said, I want you to remember how you were protected, and through the blood of a lamb, through the blood of an innocent sacrifice, you were protected from my wrath, and you were rescued from captivity. These are symbols of salvation that he wanted them to repeat. And so every year at Passover, they gathered, and they went through... Uh, a a time of worship and remembrance from the Old Testament scriptures and each group took a lamb a perfect spotless lamb it was taken and it was uh, sacrificed in the temple and the blood was, was, was dashed at the altar and then the lamb was taken back to the place where they gathered and it was cooked and everyone ate of the lamb it was eaten completely in the middle of the Passover meal so into that context you, you have Jesus coming. Those are the essentials about it. And you might say, Well that's that's kind of a it's a I don't know. It's very Jewish. I mean, there's cups of wine, there's matzah bread, there's a, there's, a, there's a lamb that everybody shares, it's in an upper room, it's an extended meal, it's very Jewish, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning to me. Well, it, it has immense meaning if you understand what the spiritual significance of it was. One commentator I read this week put it this way, the message of Passover to the Jewish people is that God delivers through the judgment of sin by the death of an innocent substitute. Think about that. God moved over Egypt. He moved over sinful people. And his wrath was going to fall on the firstborn. But when he saw the blood of an innocent substitute, that lamb substituted for the guilt of the people. All the Old Testament sacrifices after that, the sacrificial system was introduced shortly after that by God, where the Jews brought sacrifices on a regular basis, and they were made every single day in the the Jewish courts of of, of the tabernacle or later the temple to to temporarily cover the sins of the people. The sacrifice of an innocent animal became a way of life for the Jewish people. That came out of Passover. All the Old Testament sacrifices were symbols of that beginning Passover reality. But those animal sacrifices were not, he writes, in themselves sufficient substitutes... Or they would have ceased. In other words, the the first offerings would have done it for all the Jewish people. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, at the beginning of the chapter, that the sacrifices continued on and on. They were not sufficient to take away human sin. They just covered it to allow a, a certain distant fellowship that God could have with his people. In fact, in Hebrews 10, verse 4, no person, it says, has ever been delivered from divine judgment by the death of an animal. The shedding of the blood of an animal cannot bring the remission of sins, Hebrews 10, verse 4 says. So there needed to be something more, something eternally effective. And through the centuries... The people of Israel, every time they gathered for Passover, it was a reminder that they waited for the the one sacrifice coming that would be satisfactory to God. The Passover lamb was an annual event, and it reminded themselves that it was only a temporary sacrifice. And so Passover was a a reminder that this was all temporary. It was an arrangement for, for temporary closeness with God, but the sacrifices pointed to one coming. Well, that night, the one coming arrived. He was in the room. That's why this was the ultimate Passover, because the very Passover lamb itself, or I should say himself, was there with them. And by, by the next day, his death would have been achieved for them. That's why this was such a momentous night. But the disciples really didn't know it. It was like a conversation that they were going through that they didn't know was going to change their future. It was an event that altered everything. They didn't know that that long-awaited sacrifice was going to be offered the next day, Friday. Friday. At the same time that countless other lambs were sacrificed in the temple, the Lamb of God would cry out, It is finished on the hillside of Calvary. They didn't know that that tomorrow God the Father would offer his own sacrifice. He would choose his own lamb, his precious lamb. And he'd pour out his wrath on that lamb against sinners, that innocent substitute. You get back to the idea, Passover was an image that sin can only be dealt with by an innocent substitute. You pay the price for your sin, or God brings an innocent substitute to pay the price for you. That's the great message. And this is why I asked to be read in our hearing during the service, John 1:29, where John the Baptist looked at Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God was in the room that night and the meaning of all that he was doing was being portrayed and symbolized. So the second thing I see is not only that Jesus was about something supremely significant here, but this Passover was the ultimate Passover. It was the ultimate Passover because he was there, the Passover lamb, and tomorrow he would be sacrificed. I want you to understand the momentous nature of that. I pray the Spirit makes that clear. Here's the third thing. The third thing I see is that this Passover was the last Passover until his kingdom comes. Look at the text more deeply. He says, I have earnestly desired, verse 15, d this Passover, the ultimate Passover, with you before I suffer. It portrays everything I came for. It teaches you everything I'm dying for. It, it, it illustrates to you everything I'm going to do for you. But then he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So there's a sense that it's ending this is the last Passover for Christ. In fact, he repeats it. He says, that he, he, they took a cup, verse 17, when he given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is ending something here. This is the final Passover. It's not just the ultimate one. It's the final one. And so you got to understand a little bit about where this was in the ceremony and, and where we think the whole evening was when he said it, let me tell you a little bit about how Passover works or did at that time. It had certain parts to it. And by the way, it was a night-long thing. It wasn't done, you know, we think about ceremonies, especially in our Western church, and, and we just kind of get through them, right? Okay, this, the communion is a certain part of the service, a certain number of minutes, and we, we do it and we're done. And that's not how Passover was. Passover was an entire event, and it was a long evening, and it, it, it ebbed and flowed, and it, it stopped at certain points, and there was worship, and then there was conversation. And that's why this whole chapter, chapter 22, um, kind of stretches throughout that whole Passover evening, So it was a long experience, but there were different parts of it that the Jews were all familiar with because they'd been handed down through the centuries. It started with a prayer of thanks, uh, an opening um, prayer of thanks, thanking God for how he had preserved them through one more year not only battling their sins as a people, but battling their oppressors. And, and he's, he had kept Israel. He had delivered them, delivered them personally, delivered them as a nation. It was a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his goodness and his blessing. So that's how it opened. And then they would drink a, a cup of red wine. It was, it was the first of four different cups of wine that were taken by the participants of Passover right after that prayer of thanks. And it was called the cup of blessing To begin to, again, celebrate the blessings of God that had brought them through that year to another Passover. Then there was a ceremonial washing of their hands at that point. Because they were going to move into a meal later. And they wanted to be ready in their hearts and clean in their hearts for whatever God had that night. And the cleansing was a sign that they were coming with humble hearts. Next thing is they they, uh, gathered around that table, would eat some bitter herbs. And you think, well, why would you put something bitter into a a meal that's supposed to be a blessing to remind them of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt and what it means to be dominated by sin? And so they would dip these herbs that they would take, and they would taste bitter, but they dipped them into a a sweet little... uh, a little syrup in the middle of the table. Remember when Jesus talked about the one who dips his bread with me? There was That syrup was for the matzo bread later, but the bitter herbs were also dipped in it. So the bitter herbs were designed to, as that taste just bit into your lips to remind you that sin is a bitter thing and being in bondage is a bitter thing. Then they would sing. They would sing something called the Hallel, which was a gathering of of five different psalms, Psalm 113 through 118 from their, old, their, their psalm book. And, and most of them would have had those psalms memorized because you sang them every single year you were alive through Passover. When you were a little kid, you learned them at daddy's knee. And you sang them when you were an, an elderly man and you were at the head of the table, the Hallel. So they would sing Psalm 113 and 114 to begin. They'd sing the first two. Then there was the second cup of wine. And at that point, either the father of the family or the leader of the service, if it was a rabbi or a special guest, would then do something called the Haggadah, which is Hebrew for the telling forth or the telling of the story. And he would recount the story of Exodus and the first captivity and the great deliverance and the story of the Passover lamb and all that that meant passing over because of the blood and the death of an innocent for the guilty. At that point, then the lamb would be brought out, the lamb that had been sacrificed earlier that day as a covering for their sin. It had been cooked now, and it would be brought out, and everyone at the table had to eat of it until it was completely gone. With that came unleavened bread that was passed around. Leaven was a symbol symbol of bread that was put into bread to help it rise. But it was a reminder that they had to leave Egypt so quickly they couldn't put any leaven in their bread. It was was what they got. So all of these are symbols and reminders of the past. After the unleavened bread and the lamb had been eaten, then they had a third cup of wine and they sang the final songs from the Hallel, Psalms 115 through 118. And then there was a last cup of wine and this the, the Passover was done. So that's the, the long flow of the evening. Why, why, do, why do I go through that? Well, because um, somewhere in the midst of this, Jesus makes this statement that this will be the last. Perhaps as... as uh, As the bread began to be passed, Jesus said, this is the last time I'll take this. We don't know exactly. A cup had been passed. This is verse 16. It could have been the second cup of the night or the first. We don't know. It was early in the Passover, and Jesus, as he took it, said, this is the last time I'll take this. So the Passover was ending, is what Jesus was saying. In fact, he said, there is, I will not eat of it, verse 16. It's, again, a double negative in the Greek. There is no, I will never, ever eat of this Passover again until the kingdom of God comes in the future. So why was the Passover ending that night, is my question. Because Jesus Christ was the perfect and final and complete sacrifice for sin and he was heading to the cross and so all those animal sacrifices that they had lived with for so many years even the animal sacrifice they looked at that night they weren't going to be needed after tomorrow Because the ultimate Passover lamb was going to be offered. The one that Passover pictured had arrived. If the one that is picturing has arrived, it's no longer necessary. Thank you. It's no longer necessary. I appreciate that. Does that make sense to you? Now Jesus did say that he would eat of the Passover again. He says, I will eat of this one day when it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What's that all about? Very briefly, uh, he was talking about the fact that he would return someday, and he was going to set up his kingdom on the earth. He's talking there, I believe, and many other Bible teachers believe as well. He's talking about what we know here as the millennial kingdom. I've talked to you about it many times. That's the thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth after he returns. He sets up his kingdom, and Israel is at the center of it, and Jerusalem is the center of all the nations. In that millennial kingdom, it seems that there's going to be a reinstitution of the Passover. The the earthly Passover is looking forward to the the arrival of Jesus. When we get to, to that millennial kingdom in the distant future, we'll actually have a Passover celebration that's going to be reinstituted. There's going to be a brand new temple built and everything else the prophets tell us. And Passover will be celebrated again in the future, this time looking back to the cross, looking back to the moment when the great Passover lamb came to Jerusalem. So Jesus said, it'll point back, and one day it'll be celebrated again. It's that important. All described in the, in the scripture through Revelation 20, in fact, many of the prophets. Some have said that the, the great theme of the earthly millennial kingdom is the most Talked about prophetic uh, element in the Old Testament. So Jesus said it will be, be seen again. You can read about it in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. You can read about it specifically in Ezekiel 45:21 when he says there will be a millennial Passover and a feast of unleavened bread. I don't understand all the dimensions of it. I just know God is big into symbols. He's big into symbols now. Why won't he be big into symbols in the eternal future? I think it's going to be there and it'll be a reminder of what his son did. But for now, this is the final earthly Passover and Jesus brings it to an end because something different is about to be put in its place. If you hear nothing else, hear me now. This chapter is about the Passover being completed because the Passover lamb was about to die but it's about something different being put in its place. What's put in its place? The bread and the, the cup. Now watch this transition. Here's the, f- the fourth thing. The fourth thing I see is that something new now comes into place, and that's where this whole passage turns at verse 19. It's the bread and the cup. So Jesus ends Passover as we know it, as the Jews knew it until sometime far into the eternal future. But then he said, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now there's something new, isn't there? Now there's something new to practice as his disciples. It's what the church would come to know as communion, or simply the bread and the cup. You see the change. Now, remember, I told you about the flow of the Passover meal. Now, I will go back to why I kind of might have bored some of you with that whole thing. Um, because. It's, it's it's intriguing to wonder where that happened in the Passover meal. Remember I said opening prayer, then the first cup of wine, then the cleansing of hands, then the, the, the second cup of wine, and the singing of the Psalms, and then the meal was brought out, the Passover lamb was brought out, and the unleavened bread was brought out, and they paused and they ate together. Now, we cannot know for sure, but many commentators, and I agree with them, believe that this moment where Jesus takes the bread and breaks it takes place right after, or maybe sometime during, the meal where the lamb is there and the, the, the unleavened bread is there. And Jesus transitions from the Passover lamb to the body that he was about to give on that cross. I hope you see that. If that's true, that's just marvelous. Jesus is in the midst of the meal. It seems like just another Passover to the men, but they're beginning to sense that this is something momentous, and Jesus is bringing a special, special moment, and he takes one of the pieces of bread, and he gives thanks to God for it, thanking God the Father for his own coming death. He thanks God the Father for his own coming death. And then he takes the bread and he breaks it so that he can hand it out to each of the 12. By the way, amazingly, I think, including Judas. You want to talk about the masterful but marvelous grace and mercy of God. Judas in the room. Judas seeing the sacrifice he was about to betray. I just, I don't know what to do with that. But he broke it. Not as a symbol that his body was about to be broken because we know that actually not a bone of him was broken. So that's a little bit of a misunderstanding. He simply broke the bread like he broke the bread at the feeding of the 5,000 so there'd be enough to go around that table that night. And he breaks the bread and he hands it out and it goes around to the hand of each of the disciples, Judas included. And when everybody had their peace, he looked at it and he said, this is my body. So he gave it meaning. He gave it identity. This is a symbol of my body. Now, we don't believe, as some do, that it immediately becomes the body of Jesus Christ. That goes against all rules of Bible interpretation. His body was holding it. (laughs) Think about that. No, it was a symbol of his body. It's clear that that's how it was used. And that's how we regard communion today. When the little little crackers are there and you come to the communion tables around the sanctuary, that's not the body of Christ. It is a symbol, a reminder of his body. So it, it could have been at that moment And he says, it is given for you. In other words, tomorrow I'm physically dying. I'm going to be the Lamb of God, and I'm going to take the wrath of God upon myself, and I'm going to die physically for you. This is for your sin. He's declaring himself to be the Lamb. In a way he was saying, you may not understand it now, but you will understand it very clearly in the days to come that tomorrow God the Father is going to bring his own lamb and he's going to shed, he's going to slay his lamb tomorrow and I want you to remember what happens tomorrow forever. And this is how you'll do it. When you gather, you'll take bread and remember that it's a symbol of my body. And then of course the church began to develop this and they taught this to the church and they practiced it in the New Testament church beginning in Acts chapter 2 and it became deeply taught throughout the church around the world and Paul gave us deeper teaching about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where he talked about what he received from the Lord about communion and it became remembered by the church including this church. This is why we do this. So in that moment around the meal, he may have done this, and then, and then he said, likewise, the cup. And he took the cup, and, and verse 20, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So again, what cup could it have been? This is just my guess. Remember, there were four. The first was, was the cup of blessing. But we know that the third cup, which I don't think Jesus took, I think that's when he said, I'm not taking any more, but this cup that he offered was the third cup, and it was called the cup of redemption. We don't know for sure, but it is possible that this is the point in the Passover where he took the cup of redemption, and notice he doesn't take it himself. Why? He doesn't need redeeming. But they all do. And he said it symbolizes the blood he was about to shed for with the shedding of his perfect blood there was perfect forgiveness, the perfect lamb. Pretty amazing. And then he says that this blood in Matthew 26, Matthew's rendition says this blood is poured out for, the, for many for the forgiveness of sin. So it has power. It was as if he was saying with the bread, remember that tomorrow God the Father is going to slay his lamb. Remember that when you gather in the future. And then with the cup he was saying, remember that God the Father is going to shed innocent blood tomorrow. Mine, but it's for your sins. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. And then he makes a, Another uh, comment that just—we don't have time to go into a lot of it, but it's—it's just worthy of many messages. He says toward the end of verse twenty-three, or twenty rather, "This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood." What is that all about? A covenant was an agreement by God in terms of how He agreed to handle sinful man, and and uh, the covenant was was an was an issue of of how God looked at at people because of their sin. The old covenant is what they lived under and, and, until that night. That was the old covenant where uh, God allowed temporary sacrifices to appease his wrath so that the people of Israel could approach him and he could be in a sort of fellowship with them. But it wasn't complete. They had to perform the law, which they couldn't do. It just condemned them further. And the sacrifices of the lambs every year, like I said, Hebrews says, never fully dealt with their sin. And so they were hoping that one day a perfect sacrifice would come. Under the Old Testament, you were near to God but not with God. And you were hoping you're not, we're not living with certainty. All that changed that night. When Jesus died on the cross, the old covenant died and the new covenant came to being. What's the new covenant say? Because of the blood of Jesus, you can now be with God, completely accepted in his presence forever. And no other sacrifice needs to be made and you don't need to do anything yourself to keep earning it. The old covenant passed away when Jesus died and rose, and the new covenant came into being. Some believe that's why Jesus cried out with a loud voice in Mark 15 and Luke 23 and yielded up his spirit. And when that happened, the veil in the temple, you remember this? What happened to it? It was torn in two from top to bottom. And what could that be a symbol of? that there is now no longer any separation, any barrier between sinful men and a holy, perfect God because the body of the Lamb had been torn, the, the, the sacrifice of the Lamb had been accepted, and the way to God by faith was opened. New Covenant. That's an amazing thing. Hebrews 10 says this, therefore brothers since we have confidence or boldness to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the new covenant blood, we can now boldly come into the presence of God by a new and living way, a new covenant which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water if you're a born again believer don't let your conscience tell you you don't deserve to be in the presence of God accepted by God yes you may have problems in your life sin in your life but that was taken at the cross you have a perfect right to be in the presence of a holy God today and forever new covenant why the sprinkle blood of Jesus Christ Paul put it this way in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. You can be in the presence of God the moment you trust Christ's death through faith, and you'll never be out of the presence of God again. The only difference is when you see him, you'll be in his full presence, and you'll be without sin holding you back. Amen. Hallelujah new covenant that's what was inaugurated that night passed over passover you can put it this way passover passed over to the lord's supper which is eternally meaningful and the old covenant was set aside and the new covenant the new agreement by god to accept you by your faith in his son came into being and that's what we live in. and you will tell you what if you know Jesus you can know nearness to God that's what he was saying and that's why he would go to that cross so willingly Hebrews 12 tells us he even went joyfully he despised the shame but the Bible says he looked forward to the joy set before him what's the joy? receiving the glories of heaven once again, but it was also knowing that you were going to be able to be in his presence forever because of what he was about to do. The joy was even underlying his heart that very night, even as the dread was pulling at him. Oh, the joy was greater. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me. So I told you something majestic was happening that night. And it turned out to be something so important that God wants you to regularly remember it. And so now the church does this this in remembrance of him. We remember the mighty work of our Lord. say, wow, you've gone through a lot of Hebrew history and Jewish customs and cups and glasses and covenants and All this is overwhelming to me. What's the most important thing to remember? Go back to verse 19. This is my body, he said, which is given for you. That's what you've got to remember. The Passover lamb given on the cross for you. Well, I wish I could go into this. I had so much prepared for you there, but the word for there is the Greek word huper. And it meant very uniquely in the place of. So you look at that. The Spirit of God is saying, this is the body of the Lord Jesus given in your place. Who needed to head to a cross to pay for your sin? You did. And then step into hell to finish it for all eternity. Jesus Christ took unshirted hell for you. In your place Body and blood And now you're free If you know him That's the majesty of what he said was coming What he said They needed to remember that night And that's what needs to be on the heart of the church And on the heart of the believers The future really did change in an unexpected way I don't know about you, but I'm busier than ever these days. <clears throat> More distracted than ever these days. And have uh, you ever been in the middle of a busy day, maybe toward the end of it, is around 4 o'clock the sun goes down? <laughs> and you realize your day's gone, and you've been all about the busy stuff. You've been dealing with car problems and bills and, and something going wrong with the house or one of your kids calling and you realize you've gone through the whole day and you've completely ignored God. I have days like that all the time. And then you say, I just need to go spend a little time with the Lord. I need to give him some time. What an incredible statement, right? We actually say that. I'm going to give God some time. And when you did, what did you end up going to him in prayer about? What did you end up remembering him about? Did you go to him as the great stress reliever? He is that. But did you just go to him to talk about your stresses? Moment of prayer. Or maybe as the great decision helper. Did you go to him for that because you were facing something that weekend? And or maybe you went to him as the great financial provider. He's that. Maybe that's where you were in prayer that afternoon. Maybe some of you went to him as the great kid straightener outer. <laughs> But here's the thing. Don't forget the most majestic way he asks to be remembered as your Savior. Remember me. That's why communion is built into the life of the church, to get out of itself and out of its stuff and for one moment in worship to bring it back to remembering the greatest thing. the greatest thing he brought to us that very night.